Hello and welcome to the Discover Money Podcast. My name is Will and with me is Ben and we are two average people who have no formal financial training but have a huge passion for learning all things money. Each week we'll explore a new financial topic in hopes of better educating ourselves and hopefully you on how to stretch your dollar and set yourself up for a brighter future. Now let's get this started. Welcome back to episode number 16 of Discover Money. This week, we're going to do something a little different. Ben and I are going to get personal. We're going to talk a little bit about our personal monthly budgets and kind of where all of our money goes from a month-to-month standpoint. But before we get into that, um, let's start with our listener count update. So Ben, what is has that magic number been every week? Do you remember? Uh, 20? Well, we, we wish we'll hit 20. Uh, no, we are still staying strong at our 13 listeners a week. I'm really beginning to wonder, is that number just like made up and like the software just like throws out 13 every week? I can't imagine it's literally the exact same number every single week. I, I guess I was just uh, giving us a little more credit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, maybe we just have 13 really loyal followers and... Uh, you know, we should we should get them some Discover Money swag here for being so loyal and coming back every week. I like the swag idea. I I think I would first like a Discover Money shirt. So if we're gonna if we're gonna hand it out, let's make sure we hook ourselves up first. <laughs> Just so we're clear, if we're doing swag and we're doing shirts, I only wear the um, the nice sport tech or. You know, the, the moisture wicking um, cloth. So we got to be careful out there. But if you're a Discover Money fan, uh, I'm excited for the swag y'all are going to get here pretty soon. Not to like cause a potential sponsor to not want to sponsor us ever. I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone call Sport Tech the nice shirts. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> interesting. So let's move on into today's topic. So Ben, you kind of threw out a curveball to me, and I'll be completely honest, um, I don't know how I feel about today's episode. I'm a little bit kind of hesitant um, because we're getting we're getting pretty personal, um, although we decided not to talk exact numbers, which I appreciate it, so thank you. Um, but we're really going to kind of break down where our money goes every month, what the percentages are, um, and kind of map out just how we look at our monthly finances. So my first question for you, Ben, is when it comes to budgeting every month, talk to me about what that looks for you, how important it is, and kind of what is your philosophy around budgeting? For me, I don't keep necessarily a strict budget of what my wife and I are going to to spend money on each month. But I do think that having that idea of where your money is going is important, right? So for me, instead of uh, giving, okay, we're going to spend X amount of dollars on food this month and X amount of dollars on travel this month. Uh, for us, I, I keep a spreadsheet of what happened the, the month prior. So the first of the month or sometime around the first of the month, I'll go back as I'm going through bills and going through credit cards and, and making sure everything is paid off at the end of the month. I'll go through and total up, you know, how much money did we spend on certain you know, budget items 
for us. So how much do we spend in restaurants? How much do we spend on utilities? How much do we spend on groceries? Um, all of those different categories, just to have an idea of where our money is going. Because I think, you know, without having that picture in mind, it's really easy to have gaps. And I think for a lot of people out there, and, and this, this used to be me, um, without running those kind of numbers, you may have a, a bad sense of what is actually happening with your financial picture, right? You may be spending way more money than you're making, and that's why your debt is piling up. Uh, and or vice versa, maybe you're doing great, but I think more often than not, it's probably on the on the downside that we um, that we miss. So I think just having a picture of where your money is going is a super super helpful exercise on a monthly basis, uh, just to make sure that you're keeping on track towards your financial goals. What about you, Will? Yeah, I'll say for me, it's really evolved over time. I used to be someone, as you know, Ben, as anyone knows me, I'm, I'm pretty type A. I'm very kind of detail organized and like I get into the weeds on things. And I used to pay attention to pretty much every cent that was spent. Um, and I would look at our app that I use to kind of, um, kind of keep track of everything and see, okay, we spent this, this dollar yesterday, this much with food, this much on clothes that month. But I'll be honest kind of over the past few years that's really evolved to a sense where I don't really pay attention to it very much from a micro standpoint, but I look at it very much from a macro standpoint and really look more projections forward opposed to what we're currently doing. Because at the end of the day, I know we never spend more than we make. And it's, it's really never close, and we'll kind of get to that. So really more, I look at, okay, are we doing enough that 10 years from now, we're going to be where we want to be? Um, and to kind of put that into practice, I, I honestly, I have a spreadsheet uh, that I just updated about a month ago that I created probably three or four years ago. And it's a 10-year projection of what is our saving rate, what are we investing, and what is going to be our net worth in 10 years from now? And then what I do is I go back every four, five, six months to that spreadsheet and update. Okay, our salaries have increased. Our investing has increased. Our monthly spending has increased. Because all those things have gone up over time. But proportionally, we're just in a position where we're always investing and saving a higher percentage. Um, so I don't really pay attention to the micro anymore. I'll be honest, my wife probably loves that because um, I was the person that she would go to the grocery store and I would ask for the receipt immediately and like look through the receipt. Um, and I think that we were just in a much different place in life where we had to do that. Um, I mean, three, four years ago, we were, we, we were focused on, on paying down debt, not investing. Now we have no debt. We're, we're talking about paying off the house. Um, so I know that's kind of a privileged position for us. And I think that that's not applicable to everybody. I think that if you're in that stage where you really need to be focusing on the dollars and cents, you should be. Um, but once you get out of that stage, I think more of a money management position opposed to a budgeting position is really the route that I look at. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask, Will, is, is do you think that, you know, if you, depending on your financial picture, right, how does budgeting become more or less important depending, you know, just kind of where you're at on that journey, right? Um, and I think it sounds like you're answering yes, and, and I would I would agree with that. Um, so I think you know for those for folks that are really just starting out on their financial journey, either you know you're young and just getting into the workforce and trying to figure out you know what what happens and what what you should be spending your paycheck on, 
you know, or for those that, you know, are, are still struggling with debts. And, and, you know, I think there's lots of people out there living paycheck to paycheck. So, um, yeah. you know, how, how much more important or, or is it is budgeting, do you think, for, for people in those types of situations? Yeah, I would say that if you're in a position where you regularly spend more than you make, or you're living paycheck to paycheck, or you have heavy debt and you're working to get that off, I'm a huge proponent because I, I was there four or five years ago. Like you have to do budgeting. You have to be looking at it. You have to be focused. And I know it is controversial, but like I'm a huge fan of, of Dave Ramsey. I don't do everything he says. I don't follow all, all, all of those principles because I think I'm disciplined enough to not have to. But the reality is the vast majority of people are not disciplined enough. And I, I don't remember the stat, but it's like 80 some percent of people live live paycheck to paycheck or something like that. And if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you have to keep tabs on it. You have to keep keep eyes on it. Um, so yeah, I think for the vast majority of people, they should be tracking it. They should have a budget. But if you're in a position where you are not like that, then then maybe you've kind of graduated past that. And I think that's kind of where you and I probably are been at this stage. I do think another you know, aspect of doing a monthly type of check-in, and whether it's you call it a budget or whether you call it you know something else, is all all great. But I think for me, one of the things that I I really like about doing this process is making sure that we have everything paid every month as well, hmm. right? So I'll go into all of our utilities, I'll go into all of our credit cards, and just make sure that everything is is paid up to date and the credit cards are paid off. Right. So, yep. you know, I think that it's a it's a discipline aspect for for me with that process, because, you know, I want to make sure with with the financial picture that we are in, that we are not holding any credit card debt month to month and using credit cards as a tool um, and earning those rewards, which I know we we uh, kind of go back and forth on. But, um, you know, but using them as a tool and not as an anchor. And making yep. sure that we are paying those off at the end of every month in full, so we're not holding the balance over. Um, so mm-hmm. I think for you know having that monthly check in, whatever that looks like for you, it's it can be easy. You know, with especially I know we have a bunch of different accounts of you know of different things, and it could be easy, especially if they're not all automated, uh, which I would encourage you to do. But it could be easy just to miss something somewhere, and you know, think that's those are things that can affect your credit. Those are things that can build up late fees, and obviously, holding debt onto you know credit cards can can have interest rates um, tacked on as well. Yeah, and I'll say to kind of um, show my cards of that, Ben. I think one thing that I do, which probably isn't good, is I automate all of my payments outside of my two two core um, two two core credit cards. And really the reason why is I just like to have a general idea of how much I'm spending every month every month on them. Um, so everything everything else is auto-drafted out. But when it comes to that, I like to manually pay that just so I know, okay, I spent $5,000 this year on the credit card. I mean, this month on the credit card. Or I spent 4000 or $3,000. Um, so opposed to getting into the weeds, I just look at it from the overall picture at this stage. Well, Will, do you want to jump into the numbers here? We can uh, we can see what we got for for this month. Yeah, let's go into it. You want to start, or or you want me to start? Yeah, I, I'll start. So you know the way that we set this up, and frankly, I appreciate Will because he really set it up kind of off of uh, the structure that I put in here. And 
So the way that, that I build out my monthly spreadsheet is top line is the take-home income. And it is important to note, at least for me, that when I'm talking take-home income, that's after um, everything that's, that's after my retirement through my job. Um, so that's just the money going into my checking account, right? So that's, mm -hmm. that's after taxes are taken out, after um, retirement is taken out, after employee-sponsored health care is taken out. Um, so it's after all of that. It's how much money goes into my bank account on a monthly basis. Um, so, so if you let's clarify that too, Ben, for everybody. So Ben is married, and he is referring to his take home here. So my assumption has been all these numbers are halved in into some degree. Is that is that fair to say? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. That sounds so that awful would be a to me. In how... <laughs> but go on. <laughs> so that would be a difference in how Will and I have done this. And um, so for me, it's it's a. Uh, it is for, I guess, my individual um, numbers for the month as opposed to my wife and I combined. And then for Will, his numbers will be combined. So I think, I think actually it may give you a, a decent idea for, you know, for those of you out there, um, you know, you could do it either way. So I think you, you get to see both, both options. That's um, right. So for me... Um, <laughs> Uh, and I think, well, we've talked about doing a, a, a marriage and money episode at some point. So we'll, we'll expand further on that, uh, yeah. why we choose these specific ways in that episode. <laughs> and just to clarify, Ben shares a house with his wife, shares a phone bill with his wife, shares the groceries with his wife, but yet they still pay separately. If and when you have kids. I don't, go on. Don't, I don't share a phone bill. Uh, oh, you don't share? Okay. Clear. But, but okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, literally, I literally have friends that the husband and wife argue over who's going to buy diapers that month because they like keep their like finances separate. Like it just – it blows my mind, Ben. Blows my mind. Okay. I guess we'll get into it here. So <laughs> – <laughs> So I think for us, like it actually works. I, I it actually works the well the way we have it. So we do have a shared credit card, uh, so that like we we put everything that is an expense for, you know that that we are both contributing to. So for instance, whenever we go out to eat, we use a shared credit card. Whenever we go to the grocery store, we use a shared credit card. So we're using that shared credit card for the vast majority of our expenses. We each have our own credit cards on top of that. So if I choose to get, like, if I choose to go out to eat on my own, um, or you know, if I buy something for, if I buy a guitar part for the band or something, I'll put that on my personal credit card. Uh, so when when we get to these, and honestly, that shared credit card we just started doing maybe three or four years ago, and it was to avoid the conversations that you were just talking about. So that it really doesn't matter what we choose to go do and who whips out their card to pay, right? Like we just, we use it all on the shared credit card. These numbers at the end then just end up being like, I, I cut the shared credit card in half so that it would work for like my individual numbers. Yeah. Anyways, it works for us. Okay. I will say, since we're talking about it, I just find this funny. We have a common friend, Ben. I won't say who it is. They might not 
uh, appreciate me um, saying this, but they don't listen to the podcast. Um, they told me one time, I said, okay, y'all have split bank accounts. You do everything split. When you retire, what happens if one of you has money and the other one doesn't? Literally, was the answer was, that's their problem. So I'm like, what are you going to kick your spouse out on the street? It just flabbergasts me. Yeah. All right, the train has derailed. Let's let's get it back on the track, Spit. Let, let's talk about your monthly roundup here. All right, so as I was saying, uh, the top line is our take-home income. And then the kind of the categories underneath that we're going to talk about, um, the first category is our kind of fixed expenses. So those are things like our mortgage, utilities, insurance, um, anything that's a fixed expense every month. The next category is going to be our discretionary spending. So that's restaurants, food, groceries, travel, shopping, gifts, um, anything that falls into that discretionary bucket that we're you know, choosing on a monthly basis to, to put money into. Um, so that discretionary spending is probably going to be pretty variable. Um, that's where things like, you know, if you're going on a trip and having to buy plane tickets, you know, it could fall into that bucket. So that, that's probably the one that's going to vary the most. Then we're going to talk about our savings rate. So how much we are saving out of our take-home income and what that percentage is. And then we'll get into it at, the, at um, last, a little bit about our investments and what we did this month with the money that we saved. So that's kind of just an, an outline of, of what we're going to talk through as we talk about our numbers. Um, I will start with mine. So our, starting with the fixed expenses, uh, fixed expenses for me this month were 33%. So it was one-third of my take-home income was, on third, was, was spent on fixed expenses. And the, the majority of that comes down to house things, right? So the mortgage, PMI, insurance, utilities, um, and then we did have a, a monthly, excuse me, a quarterly payment for our auto insurance as well this month. Uh, so that was our fixed expenses for the month that totaled 33% of take home, which is pretty on par with, with where it normally will be. Well, so, so I was at 33% this month. Where did you end up this month on your fixed expense side? Yeah, so I come in roughly about 40% on those fixed expenses. Um, and I don't really count utilities and things like that because like, I mean, that changes every month. Clearly I have to pay it, but that'll be kind of down in my discretionary spending a little bit. And I'll kind of talk about that. But what I put in that fixed expenses is my mortgage, um, and everything else that goes along with that, as you said, and my childcare. Um, so my mortgage makes up about 13% of my take home. Um, so a pretty low percentage, honestly, when typically you hear something between about 20 and 25% on mortgage is kind of what you're looking for. Um, but then childcare, on the other hand, my Lanta, 27% of my take home pay. It is double my mortgage, which just seems astronomical and insane. Um, so if you are a fellow parent of two kids in childcare or even more, um, more power to you because a lot of your money goes to that. Well, how much has that changed? Just out of curiosity, like coming in COVID and um, and coming out of COVID, like have those numbers like skyrocketed during this time? 
Well, honestly, during during COVID for us, the numbers went down a little bit because we were lucky in the sense that our childcare, if our kids were out of daycare for COVID scares or anything like that, or their daycare was shut down, we didn't have to pay. We have a lot of friends that they have to pay regardless. Um, so to be honest with you, already this year, I think we've had three weeks that my kids weren't in daycare. Um, so I would say, but this month, if you look at just March, we were in daycare the, the whole month. So honestly, it, it probably is close to 27% of my take-home pay to childcare throughout the year. It's pretty crazy. Um, last year, we only had one kid in childcare for the majority of the year. Um, so it was much lower. So our savings rate was able to be higher. Um, but this year, it's kind of skewed a little bit more on the childcare side of the house. Things you can look forward to, Ben, if you ever go into the parent world. <laughs> All right. The numbers do change quite a bit in that world. Yes. All right. So that's our fixed expenses. Um, so let's move down to discretionary spending. You have it fleshed out way better than I do, Ben. But talk to us about kind of what you have there. Yeah. So the discretionary spending is a big bucket for us. Um, we so totaled this month, we were at 43% of our take home income. My take home income was spent on discretionary items. So that's things like restaurants and bars, travel entertainment, groceries, and then shopping and gifts. Um, so this month, we, I, I would, I'm looking through numbers, about 10%, nope, about uh, 12 to 13% was spent on restaurants and bars, which is probably, we probably have a higher percentage on that than a lot of people do. We tend to eat out quite a bit. Um, so I, I would guess that our restaurant and bar tab is, is probably a higher percentage of our income than than a lot of folks would be, but it's just a place where we choose um, intentionally to, to spend money. Um, travel and entertainment this month, we, um, we're paying off some some of our pre-travel uh, things for, for a cruise that, that I'm taking in May. Where's the cruise going? Um, and then groceries this month were... Uh, going to, so my mom and I, my mom has always wanted to go to Italy. Ooh. Uh, so my mom and I are going over to Italy and Greece um, here in May. So we're doing a, a seven-night cruise, something like that. Starts in Italy, ends in Greece, stops at a, some of the islands and stuff in the Mediterranean. Wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we're excited, excited about doing that here in a couple months. Ben, I look forward to a full financial breakdown of the cruise once you're done i'll be interested to see that <laughs> perfect we'll do it i'll keep my i'll keep a spreadsheet just like that. <laughs> there we go uh, um, and then the last one is the shoppings and gifts so the shoppings and gifts this month ended up being higher than normal um it was my birthday month so i i may I, I splurged a little bit on a uh on a new loop for my for my guitar this month um, so that, that was a little bit higher that ended up being about 10 or, uh, about 12% this month as well. So in total, 43% on discretionary spending, that's probably a little higher than it normally is, but, uh, that was a big chunk out of our, ta- out of my take home this month. Hmm. Will, how about you talk us through, I know discretionary spending looks, looks pretty different between you and I. So talk to me about what that looks like in your world. Yeah, this is probably the biggest difference in kind of where we spend money. Um, And to be honest with you, I don't really, I didn't really break it down by restaurants, groceries, hobbies, fun, all that. Because I don't really look at it that way because I just look at it macroly. But our, our spending outside of our fixed expenses 
came up to about 25% of our take home. Um, so that's everything that it takes for us to live outside of those fixed expenses. So my cell phone payment, internet, um, groceries, hobbies, fun, travel, whatever it is, comes out to about, about 25%. Um, so if you look at us, if you look at me, Ben, I spend about 65% of my income on those fixed expenses and, and, and discretionary spending. If you look at you, where are you at, Ben? You're about 76%, about 75, 75%. Um, but mine is weighed a whole lot more heavy to that fixed expenses because, because of childcare. Um, that's one thing that you don't have. So you're able to kind of reallocate those funds to kind of more of the fun money a little bit than I am probably just a signal of kind of different lives that we have just because you are single and I have two kids. Well, not single, (laughs) not single. You are (laughs) fair. Good point. Let's try that again. Probably just a signal of me having kids and then you just being married without kids. Yeah, so so we got so you're getting down to, to the to the savings rate, right? Well, so you know you you ended up as you said with about a thirty five percent savings rate. Um, we ended up, I ended up at about a twenty four percent savings rate for this month, um, and I think that you know a lot of people look at that savings rate number, especially in the FIRE world, Mm -hmm. right? So FIRE talking about the financial independence, retire early crowd. And, you know, there's a huge swell of movement towards boosting your savings rates and putting as much money as you possibly can away to try to retire early or just, you know, to retire as soon as you can. Um, And that savings rate number is kind of a key number out there in the financial world. So, you know, I think, Will, how do you look at that, like, look at it, your 35% this month? Is that, is that where it normally is? Is that, um, you know, are you happy with that number? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, you know, to, I'll be honest, I don't really think of it very much one way or the other. Um, I feel like I just, my wife and I just don't spend a lot of money. And it's not like we're in a position in life where we're like upset with what we're doing. Like I feel perfectly fine. I feel like we do everything that we want to do. We we buy everything that we want. We don't do anything in, in excess. Um, but what I do like about it is it provides options later in life. Like I'm not intentionally trying to just pile up a bunch of money and be fire and be 45 or 50 and be able to retire at, at that stage. But I look at it as, hey, you know, I would love options um, and I would much rather save money and invest it than just buy it on frivolous things that just we don't truly care about. Um, so I'll say I'm we're pretty intentional about how we spend money, but we don't really pay attention to, OK, we want to saving 35 percent where we want to save 40 or 50 percent. I think if you looked at our earlier episode, I think last year, my savings rate from a gross standpoint was 50 percent. Um, I think if you look at this year, we're probably, I don't know, probably closer to 40 or 45 from the growth standpoint, because you got to think my wife and I are retiring as are, are putting money into retirements through work as well. That's not accounted for here. Um, so I think that our growth is probably not 40 to 45 percent when you look at it that way, um, which I think, again, it just goes back to giving us options later in life over the next 10 or 15 years. And I know you're kind of down to that, not down in that, but you're, you're kind of hovering around the 25%, which is still a pretty high savings rate. 
Um, so kind of talk to me about, is that intentional for you? Do you look at it every month and say, I want to save X percent or is it just whatever's left over is left over? So I'll be honest. I don't know that I had ever calculated my savings rate until doing it for this episode. <laughs> so I don't know that I ever actually got that specific number. I've, I've always calculated all of these numbers we've talked about, except for the like actually doing the math mm-hmm. of seeing, okay, this was left and this is my savings rate. So, you know, similarly, I, I don't know that that percentage means a ton to me. I think, you know, as we're now, you know, doing, as I'm now adding this percentage, I will, I will continue to track this one as well. So I guess it'll just be kind of a metric to use. But yeah, I don't know that that percentage means a lot to me. I think in my mind, it's hitting the different investment goals each month right so it is and we'll talk about you know some of the investments here in a minute but it's it's maxing out the Roth IRAs it's putting in x amount and on top of that into our into our brokerage accounts it's the retirement through my work you know continuing to build up um so in my mind I think more about hitting those investment goals and then if there's money on top of that for discretionary purposes you know I, I think I'm of the mindset of wanting to, you know, to, to use that money. And, um, you know, I think what's interesting about the fire and the retire early, you know, I think crowd is a lot of, I would, I would say a lot of people that fall into that boat and I'm not one of them, you know, I think are very frugal to begin with. Like, well, I think, you know, you, you have a lot of things aligned, I think with a lot of people that go the fire route because of the really high savings rates and just, you know, kind of live, in, you know, kind of a frugal lifestyle. And what I think is interesting is that when they, you know, get to that fire number, I think for a lot of them, I would guess that their lifestyle doesn't actually change a whole yeah. lot. Right? Like, I think at that point, they're still living pretty frugally, even when they retire. So it's not like, okay, let's save, 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 and then we're going to have a big blowout spending spree when they, you know, I hit a certain number. Um, you know, it's really just a lifestyle. And I think for my wife and I, the lifestyle that we've chosen is um, spending a little more of our money as we go instead of, you know, we could easily, by easily, we could choose to cut, you know, probably another 10 to 15 to 20% out of our discretionary spending if we wanted to and throw that into savings right now. And we would certainly be in a much better place 20, 30 years from now, but we'd also be losing you know, the now and, and enjoying, enjoying life now, uh, and putting that on hold, um, for, till we got to a certain number. And I think that at least for us, that's just not the path that we've chosen. Yeah. Which I think that you said two big things there that I want to touch on and kind of talk through a counseling session for me, Ben. Um, I think that one thing that you said is you'll be better off later in life. But I think we also have to look at it. It's not like you're not doing the right things. And it's not like you're going to be in a bad place later in life. Like you can always have more money, right? But at some point, if you have $6 million saved or, or if you have $10 million saved by the time you turn turn 65, does it matter? Like, are you really going to, is one going to impact your life that much over the other? And that's something I'll be honest, I ask myself all the time because I have pretty lofty goals. Like, I would love to retire in that 10 plus million dollar range. And like, I'm, I'm very, I'm 
very focused on that. And I know when you say that out loud, it sounds ridiculous, right? Like, like it just, it, it sounds stupid to say that, but when you look at the math, it's something that is actually pretty doable and it's not crazy to think about. Um, so I think that that's something that I think that what was a good point of what you said. And the other part that I, I talk about with my wife all the time is, you know, we're young, like we're never going to have the power of money than we do at this stage of life. Every year you get, you get older, the more you invest, the less powerful it is. So I always say, you know, I want to keep our foot on the gas as hard as we can while we're young and then take it off as we get older. But to your point, Ben, that's hard. And I actually struggle myself. Like one of my goals this year was to enjoy money more. And when I look at it, I think we're going to save probably just as much, if not more than we did last year, even a percentage wise, potentially, um, by the time the end of the year comes up. And I don't know, I think it's how my brain is wired. I don't know how I get myself out of the savings mindset into the spending mindset. And even if I get to that $10 million, will I ever want to spend it like I should? Like that's something that I struggle with, Ben. I think that you, you, you bring up a good point there, kind of talking through those two things. Yeah, and there's no, I don't think there's, a, there's necessarily a right or wrong way. I think there, is a, there are right steps you know, as you kind of said, there's right steps to, um, at a minimum, that we need to be doing to secure, you know, our financial futures. But mm-hmm. once you've hit those those steps, you know, there's really not a right or wrong way. It's, you know, I think at that point, it's it's really just taking, it's figuring out what, what matters to you in life, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what so much of life is, figuring out what matters to you, and then figuring out how you can spend as much time doing that, right? Yep. And I'm very conscious. I, I don't want to turn into a miser mindset though too. Uh, I, I think that you said a good point. At some point you have to enjoy life because the only reason that we're here on earth is to enjoy it hopefully and we only have a finite amount of time. So you have to find that balance, I think, 100%. All right, well, I think that's a, that's a good um, life uh life uh counseling session there for for everybody um (laughs) so why don't we talk through so we we hit our savings rates so then the question is okay we've hit you know 24 percent or 35 percent of your savings rates well where does that 24 percent or 35 percent of money go uh so do you want to take us through you know what what that means on your end this month yeah so Mine's a little bit skewed in the sense that, as we talked about in in previous episodes, I'm also trying to decrease my cash withholdings. Um, so I'm actually investing more every month than I'm actually bringing in because uh, I'm trying to convert from cash to putting into the stock market. Um, so every month, my wife and I max out our Roth IRAs. Um, so that's that's a thousand dollars a month right there. Um, this month I dollar cost averaged roughly about $2,200 into total stock market, total stock market index funds, um, throughout the month. Um, I also put another thousand dollars into our kids 529 accounts for college. Um, and then I got a little bit wild, Ben. I know that we had talked about previously that I was staying away from single stocks. Um, but 
I've been doing a lot of research um, into value investing, and I've been trying to teach myself to understand how to assess and analyze companies to see if they're actually undervalued, um, opposed to, as we, you and I have talked, Ben, looking at the chart and throwing a dart at the dartboard and saying, well, the chart's down 30%. Of course, it's a good buy. Um, I'm actually looking at the fundamental fundamentals of companies and kind of making educated decisions as best as I can as being someone that's pretty new to it. Um, but I did put about $5,000 in single stocks this month, um, spread out between Facebook, Baba, um, ASO, and GoPro. Um, so those are kind of the investments that I made throughout this month. I know that the single stocks might shock you, Ben, because I don't think I even told you about those yet. No, I know you've been sending me stuff about Baba uh, for the last couple of weeks, uh, which is Alibaba, which is basically the Amazon in China is essentially what Alibaba is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, that's uh, you know I I love to see it. I, I love uh, <laughs> I'm excited to watch. I'm going to throw all four of those. Well, I think I, I already have all four of those on my watch list. So oh, perfect. I, so uh, we're we're I'm thinking exci- the same thing. We we are. I mean, I have all of them right now. I actually, I think I have some of all of them right now. So I'm I'm invested with you. So I'm on the ride, and okay. hopefully. Uh, Hopefully we see some good returns. But yeah, I'm excited you're dipping your toes in. Yep. And I still have 95% of my investments in total stock market index funds, S&P 500. So don't think I'm getting too crazy here, Ben. Okay. All right. So talk to me about you, investments that you've made over the past month. Yep. So for us, um, we... So the first thing we do every month is max out our Roth IRAs. So those got max, get maxed out um, automatically um, sometime at the beginning of the month that money goes into. Um, so as a reminder for folks, the Roth IRAs have a certain limit um, of how much money you can put into them every year. Um, so I think right, as of right now, that's I think still $6,000 uh, per year that you can put into your Roth IRA. So, and that's has huge tax advantages. So, you know, that, that's a place where we want to make sure that we are maxing out um, if, if financially possible. So did that with our Roth IRAs. And then it's a little fuzzy for me this month as well um, because I'm switching over from, I had a bunch of, I'm trying to streamline our investment accounts into one broker, one dashboard. Um, so there's not, a whole bunch of extra accounts out there. So I've been transitioning from TD Ameritrade over to Schwab for our brokerage account. And uh, so it's a little funky on some of the numbers because I didn't do it all at once. Um, so to, to pinpoint like how much went into the joint tenants account from, from this month's uh, savings rate is a little tough. But anyways, um, I have been buying this month with the market down. Um, I also have been buying some single stock names. Um, well, you have like a I list of a hundred on here, Ben. I I got a lot on here. Um, My Atlanta. We're trying to be, you know, we're trying to be diversified, and we're trying to pick out stocks that are at a good value right now. I do have um, GoPro, Facebook, and what was the other one? I don't. I think I just have GoPro and Facebook on here that that you picked okay. out. So we're we're together on those. I do have what I would say are. A few more riskier picks, 
um, are some leveraged funds on here. So what a leveraged fund means is, um, you know, if you have a stock market ETF like uh, QQQ, for instance, is the ETF that tracks the NASDAQ 100. When the NASDAQ 100 goes up 1%, QQQ goes up 1%, and vice versa on the downside. Leveraged funds mean they can be two times or three times of that um, tracking that same equity, tracking that same index. So, for instance, TQQQs is triple QQQ. So when, Q, when the NASDAQ 100 goes up 1%, TQQQ goes up 3%. Um, so it's a way to get more leverage with the same amount of money. Um, there are some additional fees involved with those types of funds, and they are definitely more risky. But with the market down um, this over the last few, you know, few months to start 2022, it did feel like a good time to me to, to, to pick up some of those leveraged funds so we'll hold them, uh, TQQQ, SOXL, UDAO, there's a few different ones. We'll hold them until, uh, at least until the market re gets back towards its highs um, and then make a decision there if we want to continue holding them. Um, but yeah, it's a smorgasbord of picks this month on, on the market. Um, I don't know, Will, is there any, any specific ones you want to talk about on there? Um, so to say, I, I do own some of the ones that you have um, as well. So Smith and Wesson, I see that up here. Um, I think ATKR, whatever that is, I have that. Um, THRY, I have that. ZUMZ, I have that um, as well. I don't know what any of those stocks are, uh, but one day we'll do a um, a show on magic formula investing that I've been kind of looking into, um, and it just I just I follow up blindly. Um, there's research behind it to show that it works, um, and it kind of spits out some stocks that are undervalued and good plays. So I think that some of those are synergy with what you have there. So I think one day we'll have to do a kind of breakdown on what magic formula it, it, it investing has been. I just love, I mean, I, we should, because I think it'd be great. But I just love that you just said I follow it blindly, <laughs> because that just seems so like opposite of your normal uh, investing like philosophy. <laughs> well, and, uh, so so really it comes down to like there's a process there and there's proven track record. And the whole point is you're following it blindly, but you're trusting the process and you're understanding why it's spitting out these. Because at the end of the day, Ben, what, what you and I talked about before is I don't want to lose money and not understand why I lost the money. But if I lose money and understand why I lost it, I'm okay with it. So I say I follow up blindly it's a little bit of, I follow up blindly because there's a process behind it. Um, and, People way smarter than me have created formulas to show, okay, these are the best plays right now, um, and I'm trusting it, and there's, I mean, 20 plus years of history, 30 years, I think, of history to show that it works, um, and that's kind, of, that's kind of what I'm doing, and it's a small amount of money. Um, it's just enough to make me keep tabs on it and kind of have fun fun with the ride. And I'll be honest, some of those stocks, I mean, they're up 20 plus percent while the market's down. So it's been interesting. All right, well, well, that, that's investments for this for this month. Anything else you want to, to talk about investment-wise? No, I think that 
that's all I got there. Every month for me probably looks pretty similar in the sense. Um, this month I did throw some of those single stocks in there, um, but typically it's Roth IRAs, index funds, 529 accounts, total market total market stock market outside of, of retirement. Um, really trying to get those three buckets as we talked about, tax deferred, um, tax-free growth, and then taxable accounts. Um, that way I have options with the money and not everything is locked up in, in retirement accounts. Well, the last piece that I wanted to hit is uh, probably just a section that I will have on mine is we talked about our treasure hunt business last episode. So I, I wanted to give just a monthly update on that to keep you know all of our listeners in the loop on what's going on with Triangle Treasure Hunt. But for the month of March, we ended up doing 10 treasure hunts. Seven of those were public hunts. Three of those were private hunts. And we brought in almost $2,000 of gross revenue in March. Um, and the net profit on that amount was about $1,200, so 60%, um, which super happy with that percentage. A lot of businesses are well, well, well below that. Um, so wanted to give that update. And I also wanted to give the update on our sports cards that we talked about a few episodes ago. Uh, so I've been mentioning, I have been dipping my toes back into the sports card world. Um, so I did, I have put in about $1,500 into buying some sports cards over the last uh, month or two and planning to hold those until um, football season, etc. And um, either, either sell when they're at a high or just keep them in the collection as they continue to hold value. Um, so that's where some of the money, um, all of that is kind of wrapped up into the business account. So that's where some of our some of our business money is also going to that into investments as well for sports cards. Until I start seeing some money coming in on the sports cards, Ben, I'm just going to put that up into your hobby list right now. <laughs> I'm going to keep them as they're holding value. <laughs> Fair enough. I've got a spreadsheet for that too. Don't you worry, Will. I'll share it with you at some point. Oh gosh, that, that that has to be a nightmare. I want to map out how many hours you spend inventorying these sports cards, going to the post office, going to the place. Like we're down to like two dollars an hour, Ben. Hey, it's a lot of fun for me. Don't rain on my parade. There you go. Get off. That that is all that get matters. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Ben. Anything else you want to add before we wrap things up today? No, well, I think I, I've enjoyed going through this exercise. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. I, I just I think that you know whether you do a you know a budget or a recap like this with your financial picture, I just think it's important to be checking in, right, and looking at your um, your, your full picture of. Um, how much you're spending, what your debts are, making sure that you've paid everything off each month, and just making sure that you're on track to, to reach the different goals that you have. So I think this has been a healthy exercise, at least for me, and I hope it's, it just gives our listeners you know, some encouragement to do a similar thing on, on their end. Yep. And if you made it through this 47 minutes of Ben and I talking about our personal finances, we appreciate it. Um, we'll come back with something next week for episode number 17. So discover money is out.